then you start going step by step, earning your way to prison. And they were saying that, well, what are one of your um, addictions? I told them violence was an addiction. Some of the things that I went through, I don't want the other person to have to go through. You know, it's about trying to create a pathway for the next person. Yo, welcome back to Ranch Right Network Podcast. It's your boy Yak. It's your boy T. We got another show for y'all today, man. Another it's good a good one. one. Uh, yo, this one's intense because this is someone that went through our program. Um, we knew he had a story. We knew he was formerly incarcerated, not even formerly, sort of still in the process of something like that. Um, and we'll touch on that. But we didn't know the crazy story that there was behind it. Um, and the the experience. You know, a lot of individuals we get, they're young. And I would say the journey. Yeah, right? the journey. The journey behind yeah, it heck as yeah. Well. So with that being said, bro, let's introduce our boy, Jesse Pitts, man. Thank you so much let's for being here. Let's get it. Uh, man, you're busy, bro. We could. It would take us so long to get you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how, how many weeks but... has it been now? Two, three? Something like that. Yeah, we're Something trying like to plan that. it out. But you know what? Um, I think I think what, what's really great is um, you being at PV Jobs, because you're here a lot of times, you're able to touch with some of the youngsters and you know get connected with them and speak to them. And I've seen that work already, even with the little kids, man. Like, you know, it's great. And I'm hoping with today's podcast, you can do some of that work through the lens, right? Um, but with that being said, I want to touch a little bit about, you know, your come up and where you grew up because you have a very interesting story. At a young age, you were already in the projects, right? Yep. So let's talk about that. Well, I grew up in Boyle Heights, California. Born, uh, born at White Memorial Hospital, two blocks away from Lisa Willis Housing Projects. A long time ago. <laughs> what, what, what more or less? What years was this? 1970. 70. 70. Yeah, 1970. They still had like those, uh, like the bomb cars, those old school cars and all that. I know it was phasing out, but no, they already had DeLoreans and shit. But no, DeLoreans, that was the 80s. That was that. That was 80s. <laughs> that okay. Was 80s. Yeah, you didn't even have that yet. Yeah. What was what was it like? Because when I even me now, like obviously I don't know that era, but when I hear in the projects, I think we're very dangerous lifestyle or a very dangerous uh, environment. But I think when we talked before, he said it wasn't like like that it was it was a very common collective location would yeah, you say it was a unit it was lisa village we had everybody in there it wasn't the white people except for like one person mm-hmm. but we had one side had some bloods at first then you had hispanic gangs and then you had the black gangs but everybody grew up together as kids we played marbles we stole mm. out the liquor stores mm-hmm. and rode bikes and tried to be evil Knievel together. Yeah. Jumping over tables, flip your tables upside down in the school ground and make a rap and watch somebody fall on top of it get messed mm. up. <laughs> you um you did talk about when we when we talked earlier, you talked about like your experience. At a young age, you were already participating in some of these activities like um stealing, robbing. Um, right? You did mention that? Stealing. Yeah, I stole at a young age. A young age. This is what, seven years old? Something like that. When the, when the, uh, the bicentennial dollars, or quarters, one of them came out, I think it was the dollars, silver dollar in 77, we used to go and get them out the wishing well at Alvarez Street. The so, wishing well? Yeah, sometimes we put our snorkel and goggles on. Military dudes be flipping them in there and we scooping them out. 
Coming out with like a chest of gold or something, huh? Oh my God! Wait, Nuts. you're talking about the little things you roll the quarter in and then it goes in and it. Nah, just no, nah, like kind of like a fountain, basically, fountain. where you toss the quarter. Oh, wishing well. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Okay, that's that's really interesting. So you guys, but why would you? Why you would remember, you have Jesse, to? Jesse, the kids, you know, they don't play in the street no more. They don't yeah. come out. They don't. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm curious, but I, tell me, I don't know if, if this is a dumb question, but if you were doing that, you were getting stuff, I guess, from the wishing well, why did you have to really hide yourself? Like, you have, was it considered stealing? Like, was it a, a big problem? No, because if they stopped the train by the projects and one person went and got something off a train, everybody cleaned the whole train out of there. There would be nothing left. Bikes, you got so we got our first swim bikes in the seventies. Alloys. Got you. You guys would do the trains, like train heists, basically. No, they would park them there. Oh, I yeah, see. And, and you guys were a group of just kids growing yeah. up, mischievous kids, uh, just what getting you know, into little activities, searching and, around for something to yeah. do. Go to train tracks, play with BB guns, and catch a bunch of bugs and stuff, and look up. There's a train sitting there open with bikes, and one person get one or two, and Everybody else come back to clean it up. I see. At that time, were, uh, was there like more or open area? Or was everything already big buildings everywhere? It was, because I feel like now you can't imagine kids just playing through some dirt nowadays, you know? We had dirt. We had dirt. Okay. I stayed on the dirt road in the projects. It was you the last one. Nuts. It was the last road in Aliso that had dirt on it. They came and covered that up about 82, 83. Hmm. That is. That is such a different, like it's still like I'm saying, like I'm saying, it's a different environment nowadays. Even projects, for instance, like Jordan Downs, for one, like that place looks beautiful now. It's not no dirt roads, nothing like that. They're sure. nice central AC locations, like they're beautiful. So it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about it in that as perspective. When, okay, so at a young age, what what kind of other stuff were you dealing with other than having to provide for yourself? I guess mental health wise, or or even like. Food wise, what was that experience like for you? Oh, we always had providers. That M was moms about, and pops. Yes. Okay. Stepfather, next door neighbors. It used to be barbecue. Mm -hmm. Everybody put the music out, mm -hmm. and everybody ate. Everybody ate. It was like it takes a village type of deal. Yeah. yeah, you get in trouble on the other side of the projects. They're gonna call over your house and they're gonna whoop you. Mm -hmm. If your mother catches over here, she gonna get you and she gonna call. It's gonna make it all the way to your house. You're at a young age. You uh, you talked about too that you had a lot of uncles and and family members who were affiliated already, right? So you were really surrounded by them as well. Were you? Did you feel like you adopted some of their traits or were there some of their lifestyles? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Like when I went to parole board, they asked me when was my first contact with authorities. I told them I think it was like I was two years old. Damn. I say my uncle tried to put something in my drawers, my, my, my diaper, really? and I ran from it. They said, why you run? Because all my favorite uncles leave when them people come. I don't know who they, I didn't know who they were then. But I know my favorite uncles always went to jail. That's mm -hmm. deep, bro. Like, uh, the fact that, like, fundamentally, that's where this stuff comes from and where it's embedded, you know what I mean? Where you're just kind of like, that's the way you're growing up. You know, yeah. those people. That was yeah. the beginning of it, you know, yeah. where the, you started... Um, you know, whatever, attaching start, those, those ideas to start those. Start learning what belief patterns. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because their thoughts shouldn't be his thoughts or her thoughts. Mm -hmm. But they teach it to you, and they show you it. They show you it by hand, you know. 
So I went through a lot of things that they went through. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of choices that made instead of going to get a job, I went and got a bag. Go get a bag of weed from Pico way back in the days for ten dollars. Roll up seventy joints out of it and go sell them to school. Ah, mm -hmm. that was that was what like how old are you doing something like that? Junior high, seventh grade. Junior high. High seventh grade was uh, your mom and your dad. So they they were they on you like that, or they were just like my boys just out doing what you know. It was a community. If they're not watching you, they just neighbors on you. Somebody's on you. Yeah, there's always somebody watching. Right. Because everybody, we played outside. We played. We had like after school programs, where they full of cans out of the elementary school. Everybody go up there, go play basketball, mm. kickball, football. Mm -hmm. We had dudes that actually organized sports teams for us. You know, well, we had all the kids, and we get out there, we play football on the big. We called it the big line, but it was the area, the grass area by the Utah Street School. It was a big grass spot. It only had a few sprinklers in it, so you didn't get messed up that bad because it might have been maybe ten sprinklers in the field. <laughs> so you're playing football, and somebody tackled you. <sighs> You might run your head into a sprinkler, oh. which happens to a few people. But other than that, it was football in front of the apartments and the bushes and the walls was out mm -hmm. of bounds on this side and the cars and the street was out of bounds on that side. Not a legit, not a legit feel that we see nowadays, like mm -hmm. with the yeah. turf and all yeah. that. It's very different. Um, my question with that, uh, well, my question kind of go back to your family. What did you see, or what did you adopt from the uncle, from your uncles and those family members, like into your lifestyle specifically, like, or did you even? How did you look up to them if you did? They they was able to give me video games, pinball machines, mm -hmm. air hockey tables. I ended up with a game room because everything they liked it, I loved. So they put it in the room, and reel to reels, and it was enjoyable, but. When I look at it now, I understand all the stuff that they went through because I went through the system too. But it was like in out. But back then, they was giving them like one to seven years in prison. Mm. So you could get out in one year or you could do all seven because everybody went to the parole board. Gotcha. So everybody was basically coming home no matter what, for the most part, right? Not, not, not everybody, but for the most part. Unless you kidnap somebody, you kill somebody. Mm. So growing up like that, right, it sounded like at that time, um, you guys were just groups of kids playing around, doing what you do. Um, that happens everywhere. And any urban, you know, urban, urban spot is going to happen, right? Cops and robbers, ice cream trucks, all that. Mm -hmm. um, at what age do you think that started, uh, I guess, developing into whatever, into the hood activities, into all that? Because it sounded like you jumped off the porch young, you know. But... As far as being in the hood, participate, it was more of we was friends first. That's what I'm saying. We when was did friends they, okay, Kenny We went to elementary schools together. When they started busing kids out the inner city, we all went to Satakoy Elementary, got kicked out of there. Then we went to Palisades mm -hmm. Elementary, got kicked Palisades, out of there. Palisades, that's quite a distance from East, from yeah. East LA, right? We had to get up like 5 in the morning to go to school. So we learned how not to get right. that school bus be late you had to go to school mm. <laughs> wait when did you did you start repping like a, a a specific gang or hood at a young age off the bat or no it was more of a liso 
everybody in Liso that community represented the Liso. Gotcha. Then you had everybody in their little corners, mm-hmm. which was like we play football against this side, that side, this side. It was so, it was more of a community. So community. there was no internal beef ever in that area, that community. You Not had, yet at this point though. You had right? things that happened. Okay. People get killed because they done something. You know, they didn't rob somebody. They came back and killed them. Got you. I w- what was like, at what age did you first see someone get hurt? Whether it's death or stabbed or shot. At what, what was the first time you saw? I was in elementary school. It was, it was common because, it was like I was telling the youngster earlier, that they didn't have no 911. So if somebody right. got That's shot, nice. you end up getting stuck to the concrete. <clears throat> and you get shot like 10 o'clock at night, 7, 8 in the morning when everybody walking to school, they're going to see the shovel you off because the blood is coagulated and now you're stuck. What? You had to dial zero first, get the operator. Then you had to get the ambulance number from the operator. Then you had to call the ambulance place. That's I didn't nuts. know that. I didn't know that either. I was nine one one. I thought I assumed nine one one was always a thing. So your first time you saw something like that was elementary. Was you going to school, like walking to school, or right in the backyard? Your backyard. Right in the backyard. What did you think when, or what was it? Was it like shot, stabbed, like shot? What was your thoughts when you saw that? Just woo. <laughs> just that's messed up. Yeah, you know, but it was. Violence was normal mm-hmm. because people got respect through violence. You was a force of fear. You know, then you had people to have respect for working. So I got to see both sides. I got to see my stepfather being a trash man, bring home like seventeen hundred every other week. Hella good money at the time. Right, especially yeah. at that time. Yeah. And then I got to see people go out and shoot dice. And in five hours, they just went and bought a new car. Crazy. So you end up gravitating more towards that? Yes. Yeah. So so growing up in that environment, you 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 seems like you got you adapted and you just roll with the punches. Um, did that in, lead you to to any type of incarceration before the big one? Before you getting uh, uh, your big sentence? They got me arrested. Got arrested, but they were they were not really tripping. Mm-hmm. Then the police they pick you up and take you home, drop you off. Do y'all want him? They say no. You go juvenile. They say yeah. They let you come. So you would show up, just fingers crossed, hoping mm-hmm. mom says yeah, go ahead, leave him. Or <laughs> I was going to my grandma's house. I'm going to grandma's. Yeah, I'm going to my grandma's house because she go open the door for. Me. So with I guess with moms and gra- and grandma too, because grandma was what right across the street. You said something yes, like that. Yes, she did. Um, they were they grew up with this violence around them. So if you ever got in fights and things like that, to them it's like, it wasn't as bad. Like it wasn't that bad. It was like, did you win type thing? Or how would they, w- would they take that in? A lot of times they came out to help. No way. <laughs> they would come out to help. That was the thing in the projects in Boyle Heights. It was. Inside, we could fight with each other all day long. Mm. But anybody else Elsewhere. couldn't come in. It didn't matter what race you was. You couldn't come in tripping on nobody. Everybody's going to yeah. run you out. I get it. With that many uni- units in such a small little spot, 
everybody knows everybody. You guys literally see each other every day. You grow up together. Yep. That's your community. That's that's what it is. You know. Yes, it is. That's what it is. Um, with so now you're in elementary school. You start seeing all this activity, right? You start seeing it more. Like even your friends are are participating in stuff that, who knows, could be like our craziest stuff, right? Um, what exposure did you start getting at that age? Like now you're what 12, 13 years old. What kind of exposure did you get to that that lifestyle? Well, we we started gambling early, like flipping quarters mm -hmm. closer to the wall. Quarters, whoever huh? get, yeah, whoever get close to the wall win the quarter. Or you take your dollar and throw it up in the air, and he called heads and tails. Whoever loses lose their buck. But it was a, uh, it's more of getting out elementary school going to junior high school where you get that freedom and you get to start figuring out where you're going to do what you're going to do with yourself because you don't know what you want to do at in seventh grade because junior high school started in seventh grade back then it wasn't in sixth grade true yeah so it was going to school and now you got all these different crowds up in there mm. you got the ones that drink smoke weed then you had, like at Hollenbeck, they had one class for girls with babies in seventh grade. Seventh grade? What? Yeah. How old do you got to be in seventh grade? Like 12, 13 or something like that? Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. That's nuts. I get it, you know, but damn, that's 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 young, young as hell. You know? But that come from seeing that stuff. Once you see things, it becomes normal. Mm. Right. Because, you know, you got older dudes like the younger girls. The older women like the younger guys. What what kind of what kind of like kid were you like were you were you a curious kid were you a, a very short tempered kid like what were you like coming up? I played a lot of sports. Played sports. Um, I was curious about electronics because I had started using computers in like seventy eight seventy nine. Mm -hmm. Which when they were fairly coming out, right? That's like when they were fairly fresh, no? Or were they already? They was they was out already, but they were just coming to the public. But there was no hard drive, no floppy drive, no memory on them. Crazy hell. You ask anybody nowadays a floppy yeah, disk, they would not know. know. Yeah. Uh, mind you, for the for PV for PV jobs, they they test us on that like computer. Um, I remember I, when I they showed me what a floppy disk was. I was like, I knew what it was, but it's crazy to even ask this question because that just shows how old the test is. Like you know, the computer test. All right. Well, other than that, asking for a floppy disk. <laughs> right. Um, so now you. Now, I'm pretty sure going into high school now, things were you ever getting incarcerated, like even in middle school? Like, were you ever, ever or junior high school? Go in, get out. Go in, get out. Okay. Because during the hall, it was, if somebody came and got you, you could come home. Right. Oh, right. You did mention that. Yeah. Now, when you start going, what about into high school? Like, what kind of activities were you doing now going into high school? So you're older now. You're, you're more of that, like, you know, mature level. I got kicked out of high school. For uh, direct sales, uh, powder cocaine. Wow. In the inside the high school. Yeah, sold to undercover. In the high school, there's undercover in the high school. Yes. Is this that same high school with the pregnant girls? No, I'm talking about Roosevelt High School. Okay, got you. I Roosevelt. Called direct sales at Roosevelt, '88. What kind of Roosevelt stuff? High School? My fault. Is uh, stand and deliver? Or am I tripping? That's no, Garfield. Garfield. Okay, got you. That's the Bulldogs. Mm. <laughs> what rival kind of? high schools or something? Yeah. Okay, got you. Uh, what kind of stuff were you pushing then? So you said cocaine. What kind of stuff have you did you push in the past? We had some everything, PCP. We had 
heroin, we had rocks, we had basically whatever you wanted. Whatever you wanted. And we drove Cadillacs to school. Everybody had cars in high school. Nah, no way. But cars was cheap then, though. You get a Chevy for $900. That is nuts to hear that, bro. And then then the the dope dealers were making real money back in the day. People don't understand you don't make money like that no more. But right back in the day, you were able to do that, buy a car off it. Again, it always led you to incarceration, right? So it doesn't matter, but... But they didn't last last, six months. Yeah. Either they got shot up or got stolen. True. (laughs) I can imagine the 80s. Wild time, huh? Yeah, it was wild. What were you doing with your money? Buying DJ equipment. What? I used to... I I didn't know that. I used to throw parties. I used to DJ parties. You were that guy? I used to DJ parties. What, what, what were your go-to tracks? Like, what were, what were you? What were you playing? Did you do the? Did you do the? Uh, at record. the time, you still had the, the spin record, tables, record, right? Turntables, twelve hundred. The turntables, twelve hundred. Look at him, twelve hundred. <laughs> I'm trying to find me some now. Um, what was that like? So now, because that is interesting, because now you're in a space at these parties where you're in a very active spot. Mm-hmm. These parties can be very active. What kind of experiences do you have as a DJ? You're more of a. Pres- a witness, a perspective there. You're not really participating in the party. You're yeah. running it. Yeah. What I, was I that was like for you? Like being you were the party. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Yeah. It was the party. They, they were ready for me to do what now. But it was it was enjoyable because back then, in junior high school, most people were doing parties. Crazy. So we had parties and they had like junior high school, high school, they had the girls, they had the dance crew girls, so every 20 or 30 of them, you put like 10, 10 of the crews on the flyers, pass them out in school, and all the dudes finna come pay to get in. I forget that's, that's how it used to be. That's a good little scheme, yeah, good yeah. little plan, shit, I mean, hey. Were there any like uh, like crazy instances where you were at a party and like some intense uh, situation happens? Oh, yeah, we was at... I think this is about maybe 85, I think. We was at the Broadway Plaza. They had the uh, Hyatt Hotel, and we had a party down there. It was a battle with the DJs, the West Coast versus the East Coast. Hmm. So all of them flew out here, and, and we was down there, and then all hell broke loose. Man, what <laughs> happened? While you had all your equipment up there and everything? I used to leave my equipment all the time. At these spots? Yes, and just what, had to re-up on some more turntables? No, go get it out there and pound. Go get it out there and pound because there's guns in the party, there's drugs in the party. When police come, everybody start throwing them. Or is somebody going to do something, going to shoot at them? So everything gets left. So you pull up to the impound and be like, I need to get my DJ set. <laughs> yes, it's like your car. Impounds were cheap then. It was $6 a day. Yeah, they're oh, expensive right. now. Yeah. And you was able to get it out. Follow the tow truck there and get it out. Okay, so what happened at this party, though, with this West Coast, East Coast thing? What happened? It was a big old battle royal up in there. And we had the upper hand because we know Los Angeles. Mm. So when they were supposed to stay in the hotel, but we chased them out the door. It, and it used to be like that at the concerts, too, though. Like the Run DMC, the Beastie Boys, mm. Curtis Blow concerts. Then you used to have the MacArthur Park, especially in the 70s, MacArthur Park used to have a good concert. Like right in the middle of MacArthur, huh? Yes, right there by the lake. And all the music out there, 
I was up there one time in the 70s with my father, and it was a dude who came up there with some Doberman Pinchers. I love those He was songs. on the Angel Dust, though. This one, they were putting the spikes on them, and he let them go in the crowd. <laughs> Well, Spook everybody. Everybody started booking. Well, that dog is beast. It's two of them. Looking. Yeah. It's two of them. And then with the spike collar and everything, they look like some, <laughs> you know, yard dogs. Like, they're out there. And it was right after the Doberman game movie came out. Mm. <laughs> um, so, all right, so I, I had no idea you were a DJ. That's pretty dope, though, because I was this a DJ guy at a young age, yeah, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, now you start, there's a lot of activity going on. Um, you stayed in the lease your whole... It was Aliso, right? I'm saying yes. right. You stayed in Aliso, like even throughout your whole come up, like even until like 18, or did you move out before that? Got evicted. You got evicted. My family got evicted because I caught a, a direct sale. Oh, so after that instance, you got in trouble. Yes, I caught a direct sale, and back then, you tell them I was using dope. You go to to uh, therapy. Six months later, it's off your file. Damn. Just like that. Nowadays, they don't let anything out. Nothing just go loose like that. No, you catch a dope case, but they could tell. Now they could tell because if, you, if you're using drugs now, you ain't going to have no guns or nothing on you. Mm. So with that then, now you get evicted. You get evicted. Where do you guys go from there? Because that's all you knew. Lisa was all you knew, right, technically? No, my mother had moved out. Okay. My mother moved out in 1983 into a house off of Hickory. Mm. They had Bloods over there. Nine Deuce Bishops was over there. So where'd you go when <laughs> you guys did get evicted? Stayed on the east side, 107th Avalon. Mm. But I'm sure since that was like your local neighborhood, you probably always just end up going back to the projects anyways. Yeah, every day. Yeah. So, so, so okay, so growing up like that, so one thing that we know, so, so we'll throw it out there. You did close to 30 years, if not, the whole 30, right? 29 years. So that's why we're trying to paint a picture to like the lead up to that, right? So so at this point, you're what, like 18, 19? Because you mentioned high school was cool. You're still DJing. You're doing your thing. You're getting into a lot of these activities that happen as a result of just being part of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, but then eventually something shit happens, and then you end up catching your own case, right? Yes. Um you want to touch on that and kind of give us the lead up to that and just maybe what, however you want to express that. And then, cause that's a, a sentence that we don't run into too often. All right. Like leading up to that, I was in the County jail, out the County jail because they had passed a trespassing law. And one day they took me to jail at a public phone booth using public telephone on public street. I told the judge, I'm on public. It says public right there. I put my 20 cents in the phone. I made a phone call. Mm-hmm. I had to get caught with nothing. I had nothing. I didn't run for the police. Just said, they just don't want you in there no more. <laughs> so, in, in the projects? Yes. So there's straight up like no loitering? no. T- that was like the beginning probably of gang yeah, injunctions and no hanging out. So yes. people were getting, don't know, people were across Los Angeles were getting um, violated. violated, stereotyped, put in groups. And they were getting all busted. They were sweeping people off the streets, you know? Every Tuesday and Thursdays at 7 o'clock, crash came through L.A. Man. And this is just stuff that I... This is before my time. I used to read this stuff in college. A lot of the shit that I used to write about was, you know, uh, prison reform, growing up in these communities, hyper-policing, all that stuff. So I used to read about it, and it's crazy meeting somebody that actually went through it, you know? Yeah, it was. But now I look at it, 
we were 14, 15, 16 year olds driving around in cars that were worth more than what the officer made in a year. Man. <laughs> True. So then when they ask you how you get this, my friend won the lottery. It was a gift. That's what you would say. That's what, tell them something slick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the time, I'm sure they didn't. Okay, you know what? I always tripped out. What, what was the deal with fingerprinting? Was that a thing? I You could use different names at that time, no? Yes. And like you would be cool as long as you had a, a go-to name and you could get away. They weren't really finger, fingerprinting people. You just had to bail out. Just had to bail out. Yeah, you had to bail out. But eventually, all the names that you use belong to you. Got you. They use name one, name two, name three. Because I used a few names. I was Jesse Lee. I was Jesse Dubois. Was yeah, Dubois. <laughs> Just, I like that's that. my um my stepfather's last name. Dubois. Yeah. So I had my first son. I gave him that last name because he had died, and and I wanted to uh, give my chance, my son, a chance at something different. Because my father didn't mind going to prison. Then looked up. I didn't mind going to prison. So it's something they had to give. 100%. That's intense. Wait, so you said when who passed? My stepfather passed away. Uh-huh. About 84, 83, 84. So I gave my first son his last name. His last name. Yes. To give him something different. So that means that your step pops was something... He was impactful in your life and, and probably dropped some gems on you, guided you. Yeah, he had me in sports. Uh, he was in the military. Like, what, I think it was 82, 83. I was going to Hollenbeck Junior High School. You had to take an elective. Okay, yeah. A foreign language. You had to take a foreign language class. So I took French. I knew he knew German. And I knew he knew a bunch of other mm. languages from the military. I got home and I ended up getting a C in that class, even though I didn't want it. I didn't want it. Nuts. Because when you went to school way back then, it was if you showed up at least once that year, they passed you through. Um, so it's safe to say the school system, they buried, huh? Yeah, it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> you just um, showed up, you got a DUU at the, at the end of the semester. Damn, that, that's some shit, man. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, take us back real quick to this whole, to you standing around loitering the, the phone, the phone thing. That just popped into my yeah, head. So I want to, Yeah. I well, what ended up happening with that? I stayed in the county jail for about two or three days until I went to court. Then the judge dismissed it. For loitering? Yes. But that was the way that the authorities were able to violate you if you was on parole or probation mm. because anytime you came in contact with them, you was good for a year if you was on parole. A year straight. Got you. And you didn't have to be doing nothing. Yeah, it was just whatever the hell they felt like, that's what was happening. Yeah. So so was that the first incident that kind of was leading up to to what was what was gonna eventually become, you know, your your biggest stretch? No, no. No, I, they had raided my house one time, got 13 automatics out of there. But 13 they, automatics? Yeah, that was uh, June the 10th, 1988. That was right after I caught the direct sale in school. You're they, how old at, the, at that age? Going on 18. So the, the automatics, like that was all your work or is it somebody else's work that was just holding it at your pad? No, everybody had guns. 
because we was kids. We was oh, kids, and we got hold yeah. to money. So you had the low rider, your cars, you had your guns, you had everything that you thought you needed, except for actually having some peace. Some peace. Yeah, yeah, because they kept kicking the door in. They kicked the door in. They had a warp for drugs. They didn't get no drugs. They got 13 guns and a scale, a triple beam scale. Which was sus? Like, that's having that is, like, suspicious? That sells. That scale. Deal. Not a drug user. <laughs> no, no, that is, that was the way my grandmother fooled because she was a diabetic. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. it's just a, like, it's learned, a scale. I learned from some of the best, though, you know? So at the time, though, right. like, I, I, I'm I, imagining, like, uh, I mean, some shit like that now would lead somebody to an infinite sentence, you know what I mean? And, and, like, they're never getting out or some yeah. shit like that. But at the time, I guess, they were barely starting to become cracked down on, on stuff like that. So there wasn't, like, crazy laws established around it yet. No, it was right. It was a revolving door. You go in, you come Just out. fucking back and forth, huh? Go in, you come out. Man. Yeah, dudes do 20, 30 years on parole. In increments. Yeah, because no you get violation, huh? you start it over again. 30 years on parole, that's nuts, bro. That's how you still got dudes. They have A numbers and B numbers, C numbers, all the way up to the E's. That's still in jail. Oh, that's a cold but shot. It was. Uh, so now you got caught. Now they raided you. Um, now where, where did it take you from there when they raided you? East Lake Juvenile Hall. Because you were still like, 17, huh? Yeah. So what age were you when you caught the big sentence? The 30, the 36 to life year sentence, I believe, right? Yes, I was 21. So you may, didn't even last two years. So that wasn't even enough. You didn't learn the lesson? Right. No, I was back to back, going in, going out. Okay. What some, about uh, being 18 and going to the county? Now being there with grown men? Because eventually, I'm sure you led to the county once or twice. It wasn't rough on me. It was... Because of the things I was doing in the streets, it was mm. like that was my homeboy. You know, you knew people as you yes. went. you know, yeah. they were my friends. Yeah, know? yeah, they were my friends. So I was embraced when I got there. So eventually, you you sort of kept up that lifestyle, and that eventually led you to a life sentence. Okay, so you kind of um, you gave us kind of like the lead up to it, right? You got busted a couple times. Um, and again, you were just cultured going up in, in, in that environment and that lifestyle. And again, it was normal at the time, right? It, it, you don't realize these things till after that, hey, maybe that shit wasn't normal, you know? <laughs> but um, that eventually led you to a situation where you end up um, catching a, a 36 to year life sentence. Yes. Um, can you walk us through that? Maybe the lead up to it? You don't, if you don't want to touch on it, you don't have to do that. And then, you know, kind of what that whole thing entailed. All right, we were, that's huge, man. That's, we that's were hanging out. It was uh, when my co-defense birthday. We was drinking, smoking weed and shit, and um, Mr. Johnson came around the corner. And then he started to get punched on. He started to get stumped on. It, it lasted about three hours, they say. So just whatever, just whatever was happening violence. was happening. Yes, yeah. yes. It lasts about three hours. And, you know, it's a, uh, it was a really bad thing. But at that time, 
people don't tend to stand up to stop something. So, you know, he got beat really bad. Yeah, then police showed up. Everybody scurried away. You guys were deep? You don't have to say how many, but just... It started off like about maybe about 10 people with that 10, 11 Damn, people. so that's a long time for that guy or whatever, whatever they the situation. They were all participating in, in this. Some, some were. Some were. Then I got arrested. It was about 1, 2 in the morning, January 3rd. What year was this? January 3rd of... 1992. 1992, huh? Yeah. Shit. Some people weren't even in this room, weren't bo even born then, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, my son, my youngest son was in his stomach, you know? And he's, uh, what? He'll be 31 this year. Got you. And how, how old were you at the time? You were 21, 22? 21. 21. Going on 22. And it, then came the Adventures in the County Jail. Charged me and I got a ring, and my max was a death penalty plus five years. So I used to try to figure out how I was going to do that five years. You know, I couldn't figure that one out. If y'all going to kill me, how I'm going to do that five? Not not understanding what the first number was. Yeah. Like that was a, the five was the least of your worries. Yeah, I wasn't worried about that one. It was that death penalty. I go to court, just say, well, uh, are y'all ready? I said, what's 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 going on? And the judge said, we still at death penalty plus five years. I said, can I come back in three months? I don't need to be wasting my time coming here then because there, there is not, no, you know, a defense for it, you know? So it is, it was that venture in the county jail. It was, riots, a lot of gambling. It was riots down there. There's riots with the police down there because we were walking the child in. So if the police stopped somebody, the whole line was stopped. You know, it just wasn't, they couldn't just single you out or single me out. Everybody was stopped. Oh, wait. Okay, so at this time, the inmates still kind of had the control over the. Yes. Because, you know, there was a time where the, the, the po steroid police officers were beating the crap out of anybody in there, so. Yeah, they had at to come the time, they okay. They had to come get you late at night when you was locked in your cell. Mm. But most of the time, you wasn't in your cell because you was running around in the county jail because it was over 24 hours a day. So you go from one floor to the other floor, gamble on this floor, go over here, 9,500, see if there was anybody up there that brought some drugs in or some extra money that they didn't need and figure out how you're going to take it from them. Damn, so in 92, mm. it was just wild, huh? So 91, 90. I kept going back in for the nonsense. But all the nonsense ended up becoming something. Yeah. And something turned into a 36 life sentence. So, so as you're fighting your case, maybe touch on... Uh, how, what was the lead up to you getting sentenced? When did you know that you, were, you weren't going to come home and that this is it? I'm, I'm going to be done for a little bit. When they found me guilty. Yeah. August 22nd, two days before my birthday, hmm. 1994, they found me guilty. 
Well, the first, so they, you told me they, they gave you death penalty at first. No, that, that was, that's what the Charged. district attorney wanted to give me. Death penalty plus five. They wanted to give my co-defendant death penalty plus three. The other one, death penalty plus two. And the other one, death penalty plus one. Now, that time, like, death penalty was, like, a really, was it a big thing? Good or? question. Were they really giving you the death penalty? Right. You know, now they have it, but they don't really... No, they was they was uh, executing people then. They were execute. There you go. Yeah, they oh, had man. Uh, the lethal injection back then. What were you thinking then when you first heard that? Because for sure, like I would like I would jump straight to, oh fuck, like this is it. I did what was normal. I ran around the county jail robbing people. You think it was your it was getting the, your anger off? Yeah, getting yeah. the the. Yes, it was a. Uh, it was just normal gamble. Everything that we did on the streets was inside the county jail. Mm. It was selling the drugs. It was everything. Everything was in there. So now, you, now you, you, they get you. You're guilty now. What happens after that? I was in when I was when I got found guilty. I was in the crib module, and we were having. I, when I was in trial, I was in trial almost two and a half months. And we was having a lot of problems with the officers because they was trying to stop people walking a child. And then one day, it was a guy that was 17 in there with us. Oh, man. So they snatched him out when they found out how old he was. And he took off on him, and everybody else did too. So we had a big old battle royal in front of 3,200 on 3,000th floor with the officers. Deep, just a big old little melee, huh? Yep. Grenades and pepper spray. No, it was a fist fight. <laughs> but the, with the uh, with, with the officers, officers? okay. So they, they had to they, defend themselves. They had billy clubs. Okay. <laughs> Some people had weapons, and it didn't turn out good for us. We got introduced to pepper spray. Correct. They they used to spread down the pipe chase on us in the middle of the night. So you land there. That's what you breathe. We went to court. It used to be a room, maybe half the size of this. Might have about 20, 30 people in it. And once somebody started fighting, it was they opened the door, shoot two cans of pepper spray up in there, put a towel down there at the bottom so it stays in there. Like and they that. don't care that that's not going to hit just those two. It's going to hit everybody. They're like, yeah, all you guys are going to get it. Right. So it was, a, it, was, it was a long road. How, how'd you feel, man, going through shit like that? Knowing that you're fighting this big-ass sentence and, and you, you, you're going through, you know... Ex I, I wasn't feeling. Man. I wasn't feeling. Because it was... I'm on my way to prison. And I got to figure out how to get out. But then wasn't nobody going home. When I got to New Folsom... First guy I met, he asked me, he said, Youngster, how much time you got? I said, I got 36 to life. He said, Welcome to the club. He said, I said, How much time you got? He said, I got five to life, seven. He said, uh, said, How long you been in jail? He said, Since 1972. This is oh, 1995. Man. He said, Man, I came back from the Vietnam War, and I've been there ever since. Killed somebody at the airport or something. Shit, I'm on a pill. He said, I'm on a pill too. <laughs> I said, it, it was 
all in, then all in. Because if they haven't let him go and all the other dudes, older dudes go, how am I going to go? So you go out to the, to the yard with the homies. Go, go hang out. What, what, what do you think is what gave you the, the, the strength to put up with that right there and then? Because that seems overwhelming as hell to have to be hit with that realization at that moment. On a level four, new Folsom, you just talked to a new lifer. He's telling you, you ain't going home because I ain't going. I Look at me. I've been here 20, and I still ain't home. And I was among my friends, my homeboys, and we was all in the gang modules together. They had got life sentences. Because it was like murder charges to send you to prison. You know, if you killed another gang member, it was like you might better get a man slapped. Is that right? Okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I know one guy, he had two murders and attempt. He came up with 18 years for half. But he ended up getting out and getting killed, though. You know, and, and that's the faith of it sometimes. Dead, jail, or, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, one thing I noticed right now is you don't have any tats. Unless it's they're not visible. They're old. They're gone? No, they're old. They're old. Nah, my boy got a couple. Where? They're old. You can't really see them no more. Oh. <laughs> which is good. I mean, I guess they, they went away. I only ask because a lot of times, like, you know, you affiliate yourself like that, too. Like, that's how you represent. Okay. Right? Yeah. And so when you're in, and I'm thinking like when you're locked up, you were probably exposed to all that. So people knew where you're from, et cetera. But um, what is like one war story that you have? Or was there, what kind of changed your mindset when you're incarcerated now? Like, was it a war story or was it an experience you had where you kind of started changing your point of view on things? As far as staying in or as trying to get out? While you're in, I I don't know. Maybe you you can you can kind of define that too, like because at first the first twenty four twenty five years it was everything I did was keeping me there, and then matter of fact, it was my son, my oldest son, told me when I turned forty one years old, he said, "Happy birthday, pops." You in there with that bullshit. You need to get up out of there. That'll do that to you, man. Yep. But it took almost eight, ten years for it to kick in. Mm. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, you said you did all level four time pretty much, no? Back up. Down, those, the, all up. those those years, the beginning years. Fours. Right? Yeah. First, I guess uh, maybe first 10, 15 years up and down. Level Ooh, four, okay. level three, level four. Every time something happened, they kick you out and send you back up. Mm. Yeah, it was some uh, some gruesome riots up in there too. So now, now that message hits you, what what next steps do you take from there? I kind of ignored it for the first for the first few years mm-hmm. until I, I was about about six years. It really set in. So this is what, like 98? No, this 99? is uh, no, this is 2017. Wow. When it barely sinks in, like, hey, I'm really right. I've been here 20 something. Yeah. Listen to my son saying that. They Man, me out that here. was it, huh? 
So he told me I was 41 and I was going on 47 when it kicked in. And I had to kind of get rid of all the things that made me comfortable in prison. You know, it was telephone, weed, tobacco, alcohol, having a bunch of food in your cell. So I had to let all that stuff go and figure out how to go home. Because if I get comfortable in prison, that means I'm going to be here. And I was comfortable for 20 plus years. During those 20-something, you never, like, since you were comfortable, you never had a desire to put in any motions or try to get bound to, to court again, superior, or, you know, anything like that? I was constantly filing paperwork. You were filing paperwork during yes, this whole I time? I constantly though. did it. I, so, okay. Um, my first direct appeal was denied by California courts um, 1996. So not that long from the day you got sentenced, pretty much, right? You, you, you were already put in work to try to get those. They give you an attorney, but then once you get out of certain courts, you have to do your own paperwork. Mm. So you have to start connecting with people that's going to show you how to do the law work. Like if you pay somebody, I hope they know what they're doing. Right. So it was, then uh, after 96, it was more uh, just floating around prison existing. I just existed in there for a long time. What about self-help groups, college, anything, any any of that going on at that time? Yeah, I was uh, teaching computer repair in New Folsom. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I so you really were into computers then? Yeah, I taught people how to refurbish them, build them, strip them down, upgrade them, clean the printers, no way. and we box them up and send them to public schools up in Sacramento. That's oh, fire. I didn't know they had nice. programs like that. I wish they still... Do you think they still have those type of programs? Well, I oh, they got know. PIA, you know what I mean? But we need something like that. That sounds amazing. Yeah, that was a trade. Well, everything had pay numbers then. I was making like $46 in the trade. A month, though. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. bad. So now you have uh, you have your uh, daughter, too, don't you? Or is it just yeah, your son? I got two sons and a daughter. So you had the... You had one of the sons um, that was about to be born in partner. Yes, my youngest. He, he would be 31 in September. So what was that communication with them like during that whole time, too? Well, when I was in the county jail, he would come visit me and sit in the window and talk to me on the telephone. Mm -hmm. And when he get home, he'd go get in a picture window at the house and talk to me. You know, it kind of messed him up, maybe. So, but I had a good relationship with my kids. Mm -hmm. It's just when I got to prison, where most of the places they sent me was up north. Yeah, six-hour ride, maybe. The last one I was at was ten minutes away from Oregon, Pelican Bay. So that was a twenty-two-hour drive right there. Pelican Bay, huh? Middle of nowhere, mm. literally. Um, so now you you talked about that experience. You said so you weren't you were doing the the, the computer classes now. Mm -hmm. When did you did you ever start working on yourself like mentally or emotionally like through a group at all? Because I'm sure there was still some like trauma that you had to deal with at one point or something. Yeah, to I went to groups, but I didn't apply them. Mm. I didn't apply them. I learned a lot of skills, a lot of techniques, 
but I wasn't using. I was using, drinking, drinking wine, smoking weed, to not deal with reality. So I guess what eventually made you suitable? Not like the probation, like or, or not a parole board. When did you find yourself suitable? 2017, when I cut all the things that made me comfortable in prison law. Gotcha. You had your mindset at that point, huh? I told my lady, I said, I'm coming home. I said, I'm coming home. I said, I'm going to Pelican Bay, I'm out of here. I said, I started East Lake Juvenile Hall on a concrete bed with a concrete desk, and I'm going to leave from a concrete bed and concrete desk. And I achieved it. I started applying the things that I learned. I started doing a lot of writing about why I use cell phones in prison. Hmm, what, what was your reasoning for that? Because it made me feel normal. Hmm. It made me feel like a person. You gotta pick up the phones. How you doing? How you, how, how'd you pick up the phone? <laughs> you know, pick it up and just... <laughs> you know why I asked, remember? Yeah. It's because last time I, I had asked somebody, mm-hmm. like, okay, how would you represent, like, symbolize you being on the phone right now? Go ahead. Oh, no. See, you just grab it and... Tablet style, basically. Yeah. And then go like this, right? No, well, I use headphones. Okay, well, well, the reason why is because if you ask like a younger, a newer generation, like, mm-hmm. you know, how you're on the phone, they would do this. Yeah. Or yeah. some would do this. Others would do this. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it changes. But uh, that was off yeah. topic. So that's, so you were, you were writing letters about this. Yes. Now, were you writing about anything else? I wrote about everything that I went through, just about. Uh-huh. I had to convince the deputy commissioner and the other commissioner and DA that I would be their best neighbor if they give me another chance. Damn, that's a crazy that's perspective. Nuts, huh? and, 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 and that's because you got sentenced to 36 years to life, meaning there's no determinate number for you, like meaning you finish X amount of years, you're going to get out. Like that's not the case, right? No. You had to actually earn your freedom. They had to find you suitable. Yeah. You had to put in the work. Um, damn, walk us through that. What were some of the things that you had to do and that you know is at the top of any lifers or should be at the top of any former lifers list to get out? It is going back to where you first started thinking that violence was normal mm. and why you thought of, you think of it like that. Because as a kid, you see it and then you get to watching the cartoons, Tom and Jerry, Yosemite Sam. And every time they get pissed off, Yosemite Sam starts shooting his gun. He up in the air. And uh, Tom and Jerry, the cat trying to kill the mouses. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at the cartoons, they kind of gear you towards them things. You know, they teach you that violence is all right. So it's, it's, I had to go back. I had to go back. And then it goes back to, I guess I was like maybe four or five, where you can start, I started learning some of the wrong things. They tell me, come on, let's ride. I might come back in with a neck brace on because I've been in a car accident. They did a fake car accident. We finna get some money. You know, I ain't get much, but they gave me some money, though, you know? It was like a training. It was a training. Because I had uncles that cooked PCP. And as a teenager, we would go 
do our thing, you know, and flood the market. We had a lot of hard drugs down there, and we flooded the market with it. And it's actually too much for, for a teenager to be having money and not knowing what to do with no money. Right. You know, not knowing what money is actually for. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So just go buy this, go buy some guns, go to Kmart, go buy some guns out of Kmart. Kmart. They sold all the guns at Kmart. You had to go get an AK for six to eight hundred dollars. At Kmart? Yeah. That way they're out of business, probably. Could be. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're gone now. Yeah. They're gone now, yeah. I remember Kmart thought you should shut that Kmart. Tech Nines, $229 for Tech Nines. That was before California started outlawing all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're, uh, okay, so now we're, now you start taking, or you, now 2017 comes around. Um, what steps did you take to get ready for the parole board? Start writing my fillers down. Your fillers? My fillers. And start putting my oh, fillers feelings. on paper. Okay. I mean, so you start doing that. You start expressing yourself. Now, take us to the day that... Because did you go to the parole board like a few times? Did you get denied a few times? Or I got denied once. They gave me five years. Denial. From the 2017. Like, that was a, the 2015. first time. 2015. Okay. I went to parole board. They gave me five years. And I had just got out the hole for a ride at Ironwood. It was like, you didn't think you were going to go to parole board? I said, all I did was protect myself. Nobody said I did nothing to nobody. Mm -hmm. I haven't said I done nothing to nobody. Nobody did nothing to me. Yeah. I was just in the hole because of my past. You know, I had to file an appeal, get the shoe term kicked out. So they throw the, dismiss the DA referral. End up going from Ironwood to Lancaster Hall on the way to Hatchery Shoe. But I got my the the, uh, the shoe turn dismissed. So I went to Lancaster. Instead of putting me on level three at Lancaster, they put me on level four because I had been in two rides in Lancaster on level three and level four before. So they said I couldn't go to that level three and put me on B yard. Then from there, ended up in San Quentin. Mm. Old school, huh? Yeah. What what like if you could if you could describe San Quentin versus Pelican Bay in one word, how would you describe it? San Quentin is open. It's wide open. Has some building has six tiers. The building I was in, North Block, was five tiers was the main line. Then the sixth tier was protected custody for death row. And they have that? Yeah, they got everything that they had on the main line. Protected custody for death row. That's that's pretty interesting. Um, okay, so now you okay, so you get denied the first time, then twenty seventeen comes around, that's when you turn around. So you weren't even emotionally ready when you went to your first parole board. You weren't ready yet. No. Until twenty seventeen. Now you're ready, you feel like you're ready to go. Now walk us through the day when you went to the second parole hearing. The biggest thing about that is when I went to the parole board in 2015, I had to argue with the with the uh, the, the um, commissioner mm. about telephones. She said, "I know you got one. If I said somebody yourself right now, they are gonna get it, and they would have got it if she would have sent them." <laughs> but but three weeks later. I got caught with another one. 
another cell phone right after getting denied five years for them. Then I put in to go back to the probe early. They told me no. So I started writing. I started spending my time writing about the things that I've done and the reasons why I thought I did it. Mm-hmm. And what I would do different now. I had taken a lot of groups, took a, a lot of self-help groups. Some of them were like victims, offender, education group was a group that showed you that things that you were going through, you were at one point victimized by somebody by teaching you those things, you know, because they teach you to steal as a kid. Put this in your pocket. You know, you can eat candy in the store mm-hmm. as long as you don't go out the door with it. You know, all the little things, you know, so you can walk around Safeway just eating candy. <laughs> just eating I candy. didn't steal it. I didn't, I just, I didn't leave true. out the door. Right. Mm, so, mm. man. So it is. I get it. That becomes like the basis yeah. of, uh, of all the stuff, you know? Yeah, you, it's, it's, it's the start. Then you start going step by step. Earning your way to prison. Because it's not like... Earning your way to prison. I just did something one day and went to jail. I fought to get to prison. Right. Because as a gang member, that's... You either going to get killed in the streets or you're going to go to prison. And that was the making of a good gang member. Mm-hmm. They write your name on the wall. And then they become a, a figment of imagination then. Then the cell phones, when the cell phones came in, you learn a lot about your friends because they start scattering their calls. Now you can call them on the cell phone. Hey, man, I need some money. They right there to pick it up. Where you at? They coming right now. So they get to scan your phone calls. You find out your true friends because they tell you to call on wall phone. So it was a... I got to Pelican Bay, and they had some groups. They had the uh, victim education group. I took a uh, substance use disorder treatment class, and they were saying that, well, what are one of your um, addictions? I told them violence was an addiction. And the man told me, no, it's not. So I tell them that, have you ever committed violence on somebody? Do you feel the rush you get? So the next time you do it, you want to add to it, add to it, mm. add to it. And then it's like in life, I was born as Jesse. Then I took on the handle clown. Then my alter ego ended up consuming me, sending me to prison. So I had to find my way back to being Jesse again. That's how I ended up getting out of jail. So I know what I did wrong. If I would have thought, I wouldn't have run down the street and got shot. If I would use my thinking, I wouldn't went to the Wilshire District and went to jail for robbery. If I would have thought, I wouldn't have went out that side that night and went to jail for murder charge. If I would have thought, I would have left the dope at home instead of going to school to sell it. Yeah. You know, it's just reacting. Reacting in life mm-hmm. is not how it's supposed to go. 
and he learned that playing Papa won football and basketball. You know, somebody fouled you, let the ref do his job. Because if you rack it, you, you nudge him back, you get the foul, you get the foul. And it's the same thing in life, you know, if you think, you say, this is the outcome, this is, the, this is what I'm finna do, and this is gonna happen afterwards. So now it's about doing something that I don't have to hide. So now you, okay, so now you, you don't necessarily get released though. You go through, uh, do you go through an MCRP program from there or? No, I went to a transitional house. Okay, so now you go into a transitional house. What was that like for you? Now you're kind of like back into somewhat reality in a way, right? Yeah. If it wasn't for family and friends though, it had been real messed up because most of transition homes don't actually give you anything. Mm. You know, you're there, you can do what you want to do from six to 10, the day is yours. Mm -hmm. did, did you get a, a pickup from the gate? Yes, uh, ARC flew me home. Got you, shout out to ARC. Yeah, they flew me Great home. Great things, yeah. Yeah, they got me through TSA with no ID. Crazy, <laughs> you know. I don't know how they did it. I didn't even think about that. They really could do some. They have to do stuff like that. Yeah, they did that. And um, I just been on um, focusing now. I focus. I have been a co-chair on Returning Citizens Association. Nice. So, can you talk? Can you tell us a little bit, real quick, about what that is in a quick glance? Returning Citizens Association is a non-clinical mental health peer support group. And what we do is we go on the Zoom calls and we find out how our people are doing. They're fresh out. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go get a job. They don't know where to go to a better transition home because they put a lot of them downtown on Skid Row. Mm -hmm. So you can contact people to get them moved, you know, to a safe environment. Because you can't take somebody that just did 25, 30 years and put them in the wine garden. Because not long only is that person trying to figure out how to live out here, now he has to fight all his addictions right at the front doorstep. Yeah. You know, That's cold, right at the wine garden, fresh, first day out, huh? Yeah. I, I, I'm assuming that has to be a very lackluster first day out. To be like just waking up to some shit like that. Step like, out the door, you on yeah on Skid Row, you know they sleeping on the ground, you know. Mm -hmm. But I have been doing um peer support. How helpful do you think that is? It's really helpful. It helps me because some of the things that I went through, I don't want the other person to have to go through. Mm -hmm. You know, it's about trying to create a pathway for the next person. And it's not just about the people in prison because it seems like there's more people out here that need it in the free world, you know? No, I 100% I agree. Yeah. You know, a dude that did 35, 40 years, his mom probably died, family died, dad died, you know what I mean? Uh, how do they reintegrate back into society? I've worked with a lot of those men and luckily, for the most part, everyone I've worked with has had somebody, someone to help an older sister left, you know, something mm -hmm. where we're able to get them on their feet and then family's able to just chime in and give them those words that they need of encouragement. But uh, I have met, you know, one or two dudes where it was like 70 years old. They did 42, 43 years, you know, mm 
and they ain't got nobody out here to, to give them a call. So they're definitely, uh, I'm glad that the support system is a, at least a start to addressing some of those issues. Yeah, it's about just uh, being there. Sometimes people just need to talk. Yeah. They don't, they don't necessarily want a response. They just want to understand the ear. Mm. You know, because they might be going through something. I know I've been going through things. Mm-hmm. But what, what are the, some of the th- things you go through uh, not having been out here for 30 years? I don't know the streets of L.A. no more. Oh, man. I go into the stores and I come out. I'm going. I looked up. I was on Fairfax and I was coming back to the east side. Fairfax is way different. Now, huh? <laughs> no, but I, I was going the wrong way. When I seen Fairfax, I knew I was going the wrong way. This is about two months ago. You know, I, uh, finances, there, there's a lot of financial problems. You know, I want a nice car, I want a nice apartment. So I got to give me a nice job. Right. But I understand it now, though, so I can do what I need to do now so I can do what I want to do later. Mm-hmm. Now you put a little something up here, you put it up there, and one day you'll be able to go take care of it. But it's about not putting yourself in harm's way because can't nobody put you nowhere you don't want to be. You know, And it's about people say that it was spontaneous. It was instant. Crime, criminality is not instant. Because before I go sell some dope, I gotta get some money. So he's like, I gotta go steal the money, go rob somebody for it, so I can learn how to sell dope. If I were gonna do armed robbery, I had to go figure out how to get me a gun. You had to put in the work in all scenarios. I gotta figure out how to get that gun first. So it can't be instant. Because you actually been thinking it out mm, you know, for this sense. amount of time, you know. So it is not, you know, people say it just happened. Don't that just happen? You know, lightning hit you, that just happened. But when you go out there and you choose to go do something, it doesn't just happen. It can't just happen. No, I, I mess with that. I mess with that. Um, Man, I'm just thinking like, uh, so you. What about electronics? So I, I'm, I'm picturing you, an electronic dude. So you didn't have no trouble with the phone and the computer because you did the computer stuff in there, you know. Yeah. That I seems mean, to be one of the biggest hurdles. Technology. Tech, technology. And I proposed to the dudes in RCA to get the kids to come in and mention people coming home. That's huge, man. Huge. The flip side of, of you know, adult, this is a situation where kids yeah. know way more than, than, you know, the adult in this situation yeah. and can easily be like, you press this, you turn it on here. Mm-hmm. That's huge. That's the first that time I heard of something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's something that would work. I like that. Mm-hmm. Like, even, even nowadays, you know, actually, no, no I'm not even going to say that, but... um. I think what's great is that you're able to come out here and still provide your experience to, to the youth and young adults, like everybody you're working with. Like I said from the start, in the beginning of this podcast, like your work that you're doing now, especially, like you're, even to us, like you providing us this knowledge, like we know how to go about things in the future, especially working with young adults um, or even adults in this case. What kind of words would you say to someone who is in between that struggle right now where they're trying to stay away from all this, all this but they're right on the edge. Like, what kind of words would you tell them right now? 
What kind of words would I tell them? I would tell them to think. I would tell them to think. Think. Because when you're not thinking, you react. You react. When you react, you're wrong. If you had to ask somebody, did I do it right? You should have to ask that person. Because when you do it right, you do something right, if people see you, they're going to tell you, I seen what you did the other day. That was good. You know, so it's about, basically, it boils down to not putting unwanted expectation on others. Mm. Because you always set yourself up for failure. Mm -hmm. How could you know what I expect from you if I never told you? So that's why we out there in criminality, people end up turning state on you because you put that expectation on him that he's just like me. Yeah. He's solid. But he don't know that, you know, he's supposed to stay solid because he wants to go home. Mm -hmm. He's ready to do anything he can to go home. Right. You know. But, you know, I learned you can't fault that person because it takes a big man to do that. Right. It takes a big man, you know. Here it is. You turn the state, now everybody want to get you. That's a lot of heart there. That's a, <laughs> 100%. <laughs> that's yeah. a lot of heart, you know? Yeah, I, I, I like the philosophy, though. I use that every day in my everyday life, man. I tell people, uh, you know, if you know somebody's a gossiper and you tell them something, you I tell them, you could be cool, but knowing that they're gossiping and you told them something, that's not their fault. You know their characteristics. Mm -hmm. That's on you. Yeah. You know, you could be cool with a person and just know that boundary. Right. Because, again, you can't put your expectations or your, you know, your 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 morals and, and how you expect them to behave on somebody else because it's not going to work out. They're going to let you down, you know, they're going to let you down, man. So. So. OK, so 30 years, you know, you, you you've I love the fact that you I've seen you talk to some of our, our youngsters here um, and they're receptive to you, man. And, and it's powerful. That's why I told Brian, we were all chopping it up and we're like, we got to have Jesse in here. Um, tell this story and uh, yeah you know I would love to to if there's anything that you would want to part ways with to just um, you know however follow you social media anything you want to throw out there you know th this is a good time for it my daughter has a closing line called mm. rolls out the mud there you go <laughs> fire 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 I vouch for it I looked it up the other yeah. day I'm already um, I told Jesse I'm eyeballing some things uh, solid clothing brand, my boy. They're really doing it. You guys are, are got something going on there. Yeah, we produce it right at the house. Nice. Right in the living room. Screen presses, everything. Yeah, we cut. I don't even know the terminology, yeah, bro. Cut don't it, we <laughs> cut it, run it through the mm. computer. We cut it. We press it. She bags it up and takes it and sell it. I do the work. Yeah. She makes the money off of it. That's good. <laughs> That's good. That's a team. You got a team. Right. You got something going. I think with that being yeah, said, no, man, make yeah. sure you guys like, comment, subscribe. We appreciate you guys for watching. And Reentry Network Podcast, we're out, man. Let's get it, baby.